If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the New Testament book of Titus in the second chapter. Locate the 11th verse for our time in Scripture today. That's where we'll be working on. Before we, as you're doing that, uh, let me also offer just my thanks to you. Um, grateful that you sent uh, uh, money in our honor, in our memory or whatever, to the to Operations Christmas Child. That is a, a, a endeavor that I'm deeply passionate about. think that's an amazing thing to think that some child around the world may come to to know Christ um, out of the gift that you gave is is very humbling. Also, before we begin our service, I'd like to take time just to say a special prayer for this morning um, for uh, the events that took place in Pittsburgh yesterday for the Tree of Life Synagogue. I think it would be right for us to pray for them as, uh, uh, as God's people and that we care about uh, everyone. And so let's just take a moment to pray for that situation too. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are all too often reminded of just how broken this world is. And it seems to us, at least, Father, uh, that hatred and, and um, evil is on the rise in the world in which we live. And it affects so many people and so brutal and outcasting, uh, just outpouring of ways, Father, and we're, we're stunned. And so, Father, we pray for the Tree of Life Synagogue. We pray for the people who are suffering, who are grieving, who are asking lots of questions, Father. We pray that your presence will be there. Lord, my prayer really is that through these events, I pray that, that your Messiahship, the fact that you are the Messiah, and the truth of that will come forward in some way or in some person's life. Lord, I know that you're there to comfort and to offer help and to peace to people. And I pray that they will just recognize where that comes from. Lord, I pray that uh, that your spirit will abound. And I pray that in what ways we can make our world uh, better, uh, more loving and more caring, that we will do what we're saying, that we will take the message, the honor of Christ to this world and uh, let the people know that we care about them. We pray for the, these people now in the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior. Amen. We were talking about grace last week, and I shared the idea that I was preaching to myself, basically, and letting you listen in. Um, and so we're going to kind of continue along that today. Today, uh, the, the sermon we talked about last week was what makes the good news good. And what sets Christianity apart from really other religions is the fact that, that God is gracious, that God loved us first. And we're not earning or trying to curry favor with Him. As I read the Bible a lot of times, I find myself really identifying with Paul quite a bit. That sounds like a bold statement, and I'm not talking about Paul the Apostle, Paul this great church leader, Paul. I'm talking about Paul the sinner. That's the, that's the guy that, that I find myself identifying with. That's the Paul that I find myself identifying with from the Scriptures. Because as I read the Bible, Paul seems to have thought often about grace. I, I shared with you last week how almost every letter he wrote, he has this introduction of the grace and peace of Christ be with you, that he, he constantly remembers grace. He realizes, I think, uh, quite honestly, as we talked about Romans chapter 7, when that passage where he talks about, you know, the things I do, I don't want to do, and the things I do want to do, I don't do, uh, what a wretched man I am, as he's struggling within him, this war with inside himself that he sees. 
Paul also wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, what I consider to be kind of my life verse, a, a verse that is dear and near to my heart. It's, it's verses 12 through 17. It says this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among who I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who believe Him, in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This verse is dear to my heart because I see Paul telling the people that he's writing to, he's telling Timothy, he's like, look at me. Uh, I am a chief of sinners and God's grace was sufficient for me. And if God can help me, he can help you for sure because I was the worst. Hey, and I, and I, and that was the sense that I was coming at last week is that I sense this, this idea that often I think I'm here just to, to be a testimony and encouragement that if God can do something good through me, then you're well ahead of that. And so we talked about grace last week and, and just what, how wonderful the news is because of the gospel of grace, that God's unmerited favor is gifted to humanity. But today I want us to consider something else that Paul talked about because he realized too, as much as he relied on grace, much as he lived in grace, much as he needed grace, much as he recognized grace and its place in his life, he also realized that you can get too much of a good thing. Um, and, and he would, in Romans chapter 6, he would talk about grace. Should we continue to sin so that grace can abound the more? And he would say, no, that should never be. And so what happens when we get too much of a good thing? See, I, I wanted you to think about it this way. Here's a picture of the Maha Swinging Bridge at Grandfather Mountain. All right. Uh, and I, I want you to think about living in life, living the, the life of grace as kind of walking down this bridge. How many of you have ever been here? Anybody ever been here before? All right. I've been there. It really is very, very high and very, very windy. And being afraid of heights myself, uh, um, it took quite the nerve to walk across that chasm to the other side. <clears throat> and you want to know where I walked? Right down the middle. I mean, there's all these people, they like hold on the rail and they're looking over and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, eyes forward, right down the middle to get to the other side. And living in grace, that's where we need to be, right down the middle. Because on either side of that bridge, if you were to go off either side, it's a bad fall. And it's not the fall that kills you, you know. It's the sudden stop at the end that gets you every time. But the danger in grace is we have a danger when it comes to grace on either side. There's two cliffs to, to grace. One is forgotten grace that's what we talked about last week when we forget grace and if we forget grace we fall off a cliff into legalism and human effort 
that it's all about keeping the rules and doing the best you can and doing better than you can and, and do more. And we fall into this legalistic kind of heart that the Pharisees struggled with so much and put all their effort on human effort. Uh, it, this is what drove, uh, I think almost drove Martin Luther insane when he was looking at grace. He, he would, he would come, he would read the law, he loved God and he would, he would sit there every day and say, yeah, I did good, but I just know I could have done better. I know I could have done better. And, and no matter how good we are, no matter how right we are, don't we realize that there's always something more we could have done a little bit better? And these thoughts would haunt Luther until the place he came to, the, he realized it was by faith, through grace, that he was saved. And, and it relieved him of this burden, and, and he'd gone off the cliff on that side. But there's a cliff on the other side of grace if we go too far the other way. If we take grace for granted, when grace is not forgotten, but it's taken for granted, we fall off the cliff of license and the lack of responsibility. That, that everything is okay. It's, you know, God is gracious and so I don't have any responsibility. Uh, you know, I got license to do all I want to because, well, God is grace and I will live on His grace. It's that sentiment that you sometimes hear people say that phrase. They'll say something like, uh, won't you be gracious with me? Oh, I, I, I'm in need of some grace. What are they really saying when they ask that? When someone comes to you, will you be gracious with me or, or grant me some grace? Uh, what they're saying is, don't hold me responsible. Be gracious to me. Grant me grace. They're asking for that license. Yeah, I know I did something wrong, but, but grant me some grace. Don't hold me responsible. And so those are the two cliffs that we, we live in grace between falling off one side into legalism falling off the other side into unlimited license. What I want us to understand is that Christianity is different than religions. We talk about this quite often, and this is what I mean. Religion, when it comes to behavior, when it comes to the rules, when it comes to all the things that God expects, religion, whatever God that is, says this, I obey, therefore I am accepted. Because I do what's right, because I, I act the right way, because I do what's expected of me, therefore God accepts me. But Christianity, true Christianity says something completely different because it's based on grace. It says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. It, it, the acceptance comes that while I was yet sinners, Christ died for me. And because of that, because of that grace, I obey. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. As we look at grace today let's, uh, and consider how to hold ourselves in the middle a bit and not go off the guardrails either way, let us be instructed from the Scriptures. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great god and savior christ jesus who gave himself as a to redeem us from every lawless deed to purify for himself a people of his own possession zealous for good deeds these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority let no one disregard you Paul is writing to Titus and he'd left him behind to, 
to take care of the church and appoint elders and to teach the people and what it means. And it's interesting in this passage, if you see already that grace is the instructions that we have to deny ungodliness, that God grace doesn't relieve us in the responsibility, that grace is actually the instruction is the motivation for us to be godly. Titus is written for believers, for us, for Christians, and it's Christian instruction. And Paul is telling Titus, be, exhort, tell the people this thing. Yes, preach grace, but let them realize that grace saved them, but it also sanctifies, leads them into holiness. Paul is teaching that grace is the reason. It's the cause agent. It's the motivation behind our sanctification. And here's a statement I probably should have put in your notes. And so I'll read it twice if you want it. I think it's, I think it's important for us to grasp. Grace does not relieve us from the pursuit of holiness. When grace is rightly understood, it stimulates us in the pursuit of holiness. Because we have God's grace, we are not relieved from our pursuit of holiness. God's grace stimulates us to pursue holiness. Because Christianity says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. And what I'd like to look at today is kind of four effects of grace that help us stay in the middle, to stay safe from the, from the cliffs of either side. First thing, grace awakens gratitude. The first line of that passage in Titus says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Now, when you think about being saved, getting to live in heaven forever and ever in the presence of God Almighty, what do you think? Do you go, well, I kind of deserve that. Boy, I made a good choice. I actually heard someone say that time, one time. They said, if, if everybody was smart like me, they'd choose God. Okay. Or are you simply thankful? Amazingly thankful that God would save you. When we realize, when I think about grace and that it's not because of my effort and it's not because of my deeds and it's not because of my merit, but that it's because God loved me. When he shouldn't love me, it awakens with me a gratitude. We've seen this this morning. When you do something nice for someone that awakens gratitude in them, what are they compelled to do? Say it. Pass it on. Reply to it, right? You gave Randy a, a, a bunch of, a, a bag full of cards. The first thing he did when he got up here was to say, I appreciate your appreciation. The first thing I said when I got up here is, I appreciate your appreciation. When gratitude is awakened in us, we have this, this drive to respond to it, to say thank you back, right? And when we get grace in the right order and we realize that God loved us first and he said, I love you and I graced you. When we, when that's awakening us, we say, well, we want to respond to God. And how do you respond to God? But you love Him. And the Bible says love is obedience to God. This is how we return. This is how we reply to God's grace. This is how we say thank you by following Him. 
So when you think about grace and your salvation, how and what are you thankful for? What, what do you give thanks for when you think about God? Here's, I, I'd like for us to go just a little bit deeper today and realize this continuum. The better we understand our sin, the better we will understand and appreciate God's grace. If you only need a little bit, you're only a little bit thankful. If you need more, you're more thankful. And the deeper we look into our hearts, the deeper we look into our souls and realize what goes on there, the more we will appreciate God's grace and therefore love God more and be more thankful to God. And so let us just take one verse and practice that today. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We're encouraged by the scriptures to to think about our sins. The word confess in that verse doesn't mean admit to. I've told you this before. This is, I think, a very important idea that the word confess there means to say the same thing or to agree with. And so the Bible tells us to agree with God about our sins, to think deeply about our sins. And so we would say something to this effect. Lord, I agree. I sin. Lord, I agree that is a sin. Then we agree with God about the consequences of our sin. What's the consequences of sin? The wages of sin is death, right? Destruction, separation from God. That we rightly deserve to go to hell. That's a tough statement to make about yourself. But it's true. And when we realize that the sin that lies in our hearts has that same, when we agree that's what we deserve, if we can get to that place, then God's grace is really amazing. It's amazing grace. And I love him all the more for not giving me what I deserve. And then the third thing we can agree with God about is, yes, Father, I sin. I know what the consequences of my sin should be. And thirdly, there's nothing I can do about it. I rely on you. When we can get ourselves to that kind of confession, that kind of admittance of where we are, when we embrace the sin that we so often try to excuse ourselves from, then God's grace becomes more precious. We become more thankful. We love God more and are therefore closer to him. It's interesting because we we hate sin so much. The very vehicle that will carry us closer to God, that will make us love him and appreciate him and be more deeply indebted and grateful to him is the very thing we avoid very often. And dealing and with our sin makes us rely on grace and love God more. See, the one thing I'd like to say is we see from this passage that sin is not the problem that sends people to hell. Sin has been taken care of. Christ died once for all sins. We've been studying this on Thursday mornings. That's not why people, but an unwillingness to accept God's grace, an unwillingness to accept what God has done, an unwillingness to agree with God about sin. And so the real problem that causes people to go to hell is either denial, pride, or stubbornness. That's the real reason people don't turn to God. The sin problem has been dealt with. You just got to go to the person who's dealt with it and ask for him and agree with him about sin. Rely on his grace. So grace awakens thankfulness and that makes us deal and face our sin. 
Grace establishes a relationship. That verse 14 that John, uh, that Scott read, who gave himself for us to redeem from us from every lawless deed to purify for himself a people of his own possession. That he wants us to be his people, to be in a relationship with him. That God didn't just want followers. He wanted people. He wanted a relationship. And so grace established this relationship. John Piper in his book, Knowing God, says this. This is how he says, sum up all you know about Christianity is what is understanding what it means to be God's child. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. This is not the thought that prompts, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. That we relate to God. We don't just follow God, but we relate to God. And he goes on to explain how when we relate to God as our Father, that gives God, as a Father should, authority. That He is the one who gets to be in charge and tell us what to do. He is our authority that we have affection for God, that we want to relate to Him, and we want to please Him like a, a good son wants to please his father. That we have fellowship with God, that we commune with Him and talk with Him and relate to Him, and that we want to honor God, that we want our actions to bring honor to our Father. It's probably poignant, poignant that I talk about that this morning because my Father sits in the back here today. If y'all didn't know the good-looking fellow in the back row who looks a lot like me, that's my dad. And the same way I feel about him, that he has authority, I have great affection, he is fellowship, but I want to honor him. I want to behave in such a way that people will tell him what a good job he did with me. That I want my father's name honored by my behavior. And when we recognize our relationship with God, we live in such a way that our heavenly father is honored by our actions. That people will say, your father did a good job with you. You bring honor to your father's name. This is what we're called as Christians to do so that we don't go around abusing grace and doing whatever we want to because it would dishonor our father. And so that father relationship becomes motivation for us to to live up to our family name, to bring honor to our family and be recognized by our family. There's one thought that that I've grasped with when it comes to this relationship that we understand. And, And I want to explore this idea one day in the sermon, possibly. God loves us unconditionally. I believe that. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. Undeserved, un, unmerited favor. And so what, but the difference between followers and non-followers, where I believe God loves everyone, God doesn't relate unconditionally. See, relationships have conditions to them. 
We don't just relate. So when I started to relate for, give you a quick example. When I started to relate to Shelly and said, let's enter an intimate relationship. The more intimate the relationship, by the way, kind of the more conditions that come along with it. There was an agreement. She had some conditions. One of those was that I started, I stopped seeing other women and that I saw her unconditionally and stayed with her alone. You know, she also has conditions about taking shoes off and brushing my teeth at least once a day and stuff like that too. That just keeps her happier. But because I entered a relationship with her, there's conditions. I had to be to her and her alone. We made vows to that, that through sickness and health and prosperity and and everything that I would stick. These are the conditions of our relationship, that this is who I'm going to be, that I would uphold her and be there. And she said the same to me because I had the same conditions on her. And so we relate conditionally. And our relationship with God is like, if you want to be mine, I'm all about a relationship. But there's conditions, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall serve no graven images. You will remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You will treat other people the way I want them to be treated. These are conditions that God has put upon us to be in this relationship with him. He loves us, yes. But if we're going to relate, it's based on this idea of how we, the the ideas of a covenant relationship, that we meet some standards, we meet some relationship conditions there. Because we want a good relationship with him. If you break the conditions, the relationship falls apart. The third thing that grace, grace grants a helper. Verse 12, that's, that's where it says, Grace instructing us to deny godliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Instruction. That grace gives us instructions. And how do we know what God wants? Well, he promised us a helper. That there would be something with inside of us that would help us do the impossible. I was riding in this morning and I heard Congressman Mike Kelly talking about the events that took place in Pittsburgh yesterday. And this is what he said. He made two comments that I thought were pretty interesting. He said, evil exists. We recognize that. We need to change our hearts. Now, I found those interesting because most people believe we as people are genuinely or or, are mostly good in our hearts. And we don't look at the evil that exists even within ourselves. It does exist. We see it in other people and we can find it easily in other people. But we need to realize that there's evil even within our own struggles at times. And we need grace. And we need a change of heart. The only problem I disagree with Mike about is we can't change our hearts. Only God can change our hearts. And God realized that. And so he gave us a helper, the Holy Spirit, to come be inside of us, to bring about conviction, to instruct us, to teach us. As he says, he will remind us of all these things I've said. And he gives us the power to change or he gives us the ability to change and so that we don't say well i'm just a sinner and i just can't help myself and i'm just going to rely on god's grace no that we have a spirit the spirit to help us to change that evil heart and and as we face that within us and help me be different than i am change me make me a new creature convert me all these ideas that we use is the work of the holy spirit in us so he gives us a helper to accomplish the impossible to overcome our behavior and our sin. 
and to be different and to bring honor to our Father. And so grace gives us these instructions, brings about conviction in our hearts. Paul believes, he, he even understands that, that this should be a natural reaction of people, that, that we just can't go on sinning. Finally, grace produces a return. When it all comes down to it, when we recognize God's love and our relationship with Him, when we recognize the, the grace of the Spirit in our lives, when we respond with gratitude because of the salvation of God, there is a return for God's grace. It's an expected return. And that return is repentance, which simply means to turn away from what you were doing, to turn towards God, to live more godly lives. As he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in this present age. And that deny is the kind of the base idea behind repentance. To deny yourself and repent. Turn towards God. Romans 6.1. That's what, what shall we say then? As we continue, are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Are we to abuse grace? Are we to run off into license and unresponsibility so we can bore revel and be happier about grace? He says, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? We must deny ourselves. We must repent, turn from it, and live between those two things of relying on God's grace on one side, that, man, we need it because there's things in our hearts that we don't like and we can't make anything to make up for it, and not abusing it on the other side. It doesn't give me license, but I want to stay right in the middle of living in God's grace, being grateful, relying on the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, and cherishing my relationship and honoring my God Father. Bring honor to His name. Living in grace. Scott's going to come and prepare to lead us in our last hymn. One last closing thought that I have here. So we have uh, an upcoming baptism service on November the 25th. And the reason I say that to you is because there may be someone here today who needs to accept God's grace. Then 1 John 1, 9, it says, if you'll confess, if you'll agree with God about your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive you of those sins. This is God's grace extended to us. If we will but yet come to him and agree with him about that. God, when it comes to accepting God's grace, there's two things you need to know. One, God has done everything you need for him to do for you to be saved. But God still holds us responsible for everything we do. We live in grace between those two paradigms. And so we need to call out to God's grace. To accept it. To receive salvation that He grants for all men through grace. If you're here today and you haven't done that. If you haven't given your life to Christ. If you haven't said, I am a sinner. I recognize that. There's nothing I can do about it. And if I don't do something about it, then I will be banished from God's presence for all eternity. Please, God, be gracious to me. If that is you, please let me know today. We have a ceremony coming up in a few weeks where we will recognize that publicly, where we proclaim to the world, I have been saved by grace. And we do that through baptism. And so with that coming up, I plead for those who have never walked in the grace of God 
to not be stubborn, to not be, do not deny it, and don't be too proud to say, I'm a sinner who needs grace because God is offering.